Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Persino Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Michelle Persino Wells, one of the attorneys here at PWW Law, and I'm joined by Danielle Marvel, who is our elder law department manager. And this is one of our team stories. I love when we do these podcasts because it just gets to kind of show off our team and talk a little more personally. So Danielle, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Michelle. (laughs) So Danielle, gosh, I was counting. You started with the firm in, I think, January of 2018. Yeah. Yeah, So um, it's hard to imagine the before you because you've added so much (laughs) to our practice and have brought so much knowledge with you. Um, So Danielle, let's start off. Just tell us a little bit about you. Oh boy. I know. Let's see. I will be 37 in December. I have been married to my husband Shane for four years mm, in still November. Still like that. <laughs> we have a spoiled little dog named Lainey. Um, we live in Dagsboro, and so sh- we live in the house that Shane grew up in. And then uh, besides that, I've only lived in two other houses my whole life, all within a five-mile radius of the Dagsboro area. So we are certainly (laughs) Sussex County, born and raised, stuck in our roots a little bit for sure. Yeah, um, Yeah. I I think that's a proud thing to say. You know, I I love to joke that here when I was young, you know, I grew up in Sussex County too and and couldn't wait to leave when I was young. And then once I left, couldn't wait to come back. So yeah, I think we should be proud of being Sussex County girls. Absolutely. So, and Danielle, I know you have some interesting kind of uh, hobbies or interests. So, so something about some dirt tracks oh, or what's that yeah. about? Tell us about that. I'm certainly the only person <laughs> in the office, it seems, that um, spends my free time basically from March to October, November at the weekends in the racetrack. Um, yeah. So I'm big into dirt track racing, stock cars, like late models, modified sprints. I grew up around it. My uncle raced stock cars when I was little, then my other uncle raced go-karts, and I like to say that it kept me out of trouble, (laughs) and it's something that me and my husband have in common. It's usually the only vacation we can agree on to go somewhere for racing. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. I always think it's great. You know, I know that I have witnessed it, and I'm sure everybody else in the office has too, where there'll be a client that'll come in, they're like, you look awfully familiar, and like, you look awfully familiar, and I'm sitting there thinking it has to be racing, and then it takes you guys like 10 more minutes to figure out that it's racing. That's right. <laughs> so I know you also have quite a reputation within the office for being um, quite crafty. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah. 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 That you like to create crafts, I crafts do. on a budget, right? I do. Yeah. I, I'm a Dollar Tree girl. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be surprised what you could, <laughs> I was just saying this yesterday. You could be surprised what you can find at Dollar Tree and remake at Dollar Tree. And yeah, so yeah, I enjoy fun. that. It's a challenge, but the end product, kind of like what we do, is always rewarding. Right, yeah. And you have a she shed, right? I do. I'm I have so a she jealous. shed. I think that yeah. that's so fun. That so. was a new addition to the home front <laughs> this year. Yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> so so let's talk about sort of the, the, the office and sort of what you do here. Um, first, before we do that, though, why don't you fill us in kind of about your work experience before we talked you in to come in to work for us. <laughs> so much like my homes, I don't like to change a whole lot. 
I spent from the time I was 14 until 23 working at a hotel. My mom worked there in housekeeping and I started at the front desk at 14 and kind of worked my way up, did a little bit of everything, ended as accounts manager, did some human resources. So when it was time for a change, because the hotel industry is a little exhausting, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a job being advertised for in a local nursing home for human resources manager. So I interviewed for that, started there in 2008. And once they realized that I had some financial background, they kind of drug me into the business <laughs> office there. Right. Uh, and that's where I spent almost 10 years there at the facility doing the business office, helping people apply for Medicaid, billing both clients privately and insurance, and then all the little fun stuff in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is you know, clearly the, the skill and the experience and the knowledge that you bring to our team, which is invaluable for us and for our clients. You know, I could sit and talk all day about the the statutes and the regulations and all of that. But, you know, you you have been, you know, boots on the ground and seeing how these things work um, in, in real life <laughs> and having that business office experience and having so much practical knowledge, you know, is such a blessing to so many of our families. And so, um, you know, we, you you know, I, I can't even begin to say how, how much you have added to the, well, the services that we can provide our clients. And I greatly appreciate that. So kind of tell us, yeah, what, what do you do at Procino Wells and Woodland, those services? Like, how do you help our clients? Yeah. So I work in the asset protection planning department here. So my goal is to help our clients get government benefits that they're entitled to while also protecting assets. So whether that be care in the home through the Medicaid program, care in a nursing home through the Medicaid program, or even the Veterans Aid and Attendance program. We help with that while trying to make sure that they're able to create a nest egg and leave a legacy for their families. Yeah. And I think probably the toughest part of your job is dealing with our clients you know, who are emotional, overwhelmed, stressed, worried about their loved one, because typically you're working with a son, daughter, spouse, you know, of, of the, you know, the person who needs care. Yeah. Um, so talk about that. Yeah, well, for the most part, I guess, you know, they have the stress of their loved ones as well, but they're also trying to maintain their lives as right. well, their families, their jobs, their responsibilities. And usually when they first come to us, they're overwhelmed. But luckily, we're able for the most part to develop a relationship where they understand that if they need to just call and vent because they're having a tough time, they can. And that they trust us to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. that yeah. things are going to get better. They are going to get into a routine so that it's not as much of a stressor that they have to not only worry about how their loved one's going to be cared for, but how that care is going to be paid for as well. Right. And that certainly, Danielle, like I say, that is such a gift that you give our clients. And I'm going to totally embarrass you now because I'm going to read. So here's the funny thing. We get surveys in from a lot of our clients once their matters are complete. And everyone else in the office is really jealous because Danielle gets like the most love from our clients. And so I'm going to read one of the 
um, surveys that came in. It said, we have been impressed with Danielle Marvel and her expertise with asset protection. She has been a true blessing to our situation. Her knowledge has eased our concerns throughout the entire process. It is comforting to have her answer our questions and direct our decisions. We know we're in great hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that blushing. is, yeah, 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 Danielle is blushing, I'll attest to that. Yeah, I mean, that is huge that, you know, not only are we obviously providing a legal service to clients, but the way you take care of our clients is just, it's, it's incredible. It really is. Um, so Danielle, too, as part of that process, you, you're the one who's preparing VA applications, Medicaid applications. Um, you want to talk a little about that process? Yeah, the VA applications, they're fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're a lot. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot. Um, they're a little intimidating as well. It's the government. So you have to everything is a, a zero or not applicable <laughs> right. or no blanks. Everything has to be just right. There are ooh, about eight different forms or so that accompany a VA claim alone. Yeah. And they want to know everything from every past marriage your your parent or has had whether that was three marriages before their last spouse they want to know every income you get from interest income because you made a dollar on a checking account one year <laughs> so the VA forms are fun the medicaid application is a little more friendly i would say yeah. it's you know 15 18 pages long something along those lines and they want to know your basic information as well you know your basic your social security number address date of birth your income your assets closed accounts things like that along those lines that for me i've been doing them so long it, it's not that painful but for anybody else, when they look at it, it would probably be enough for them to just kind of set it to the side <laughs> and say, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's one of the most valuable pieces of the work that we sure. do is taking that burden off of that family member who's trying to, you know, it's enough to gather all the financial information, you know, provide all yes. the information to us that we need. Definitely. But to have to submit that, you know, prepare that application, all the supporting documents, submit it. And then, you know, the waiting and the follow up right. and the having to provide additional information. Um, yeah, that, you know, we've had some families, as you know, you know, hire us just you know, maybe there's not really enough assets to really shelter much, but they hire us just to go through the application process for them. So it's a, a, a wonderful, you know, our goal is always to take as much of it off of our client's shoulders as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish sometimes there was more that I could do for yeah. them because I, but I can't go to the bank or, or things along those lines for them. Right. But I wish there was more that I could do for them. Yeah. Because chances are, with our familiarity, we could do it a little bit faster yeah. and easier for them. And that's my full-time job where they're still trying to have a full-time right, job as right. well. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Time, so. And you do this every day. That's and, right. And they don't. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. So, Danielle, if you don't mind sharing, I know you've had some personal experiences with applying for benefit programs. Mm -hmm. So, you want to just share a little bit about that? Yeah. So we were fortunate enough to apply for the long-term care Medicaid program for home and community-based services for my mom. Mm -hmm. My mom suffered from extreme rheumatoid arthritis and was basically wheelchair bound. She could ambulate a little bit with her feet in the wheelchair, but besides that, she was 
stuck to the wheelchair. And it was a huge blessing because it really allowed my uncle, her brother, to retire early to be able to do things for her, like the laundry, taking her to doctor's appointments, do her grocery shopping, prepare her meals, the things that she was unable to do at that Mm -hmm. point. Not to mention the added health insurance cost benefits that went along with it because she made just a little too much money to be considered for what they call the Qualified Medicare Beneficiary Program that pays for Medicare Mm co-insurance, but the long-term care Medicaid paid for that. They also paid the Medicare B premium, which was an extra hundred and forty some dollars a month. All that really helps when you're on a very limited income. Yeah. Yeah. And because of the program, we were able to wrap up her final affairs really quickly when we lost her last August as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think that, you know, you bring that personal experience to to our team, which is critical because you've been in those shoes, you know what that planning looks like and you saw how helpful it was. And and so again, like that, that's, you know, if a person is trying to do this on their own, they're not ever going to have that information, right? Mm-hmm. So it really is incredibly helpful. So I, I thought that it would be kind of fun for us to run through some of the Medicaid myths oh. that, that we, <laughs> that we encounter <laughs> on sort of a regular basis. Yeah. So, um, so the first one, you know, these are things that, you know, people have asked us or people have told us that, you know, someone, their next door neighbor or whomever it might be has told them, well, if I apply for Medicaid, you know, this is going to happen. So first one, I'll lose my home. So no. how do you respond to that? No, you're not going to lose your home. It's usually referred to as Medicaid will take my home or the nursing home <laughs> yeah, will take my right. home. And they don't want your house. No, yeah. they don't want your house. No. So first of all, if you live in your home in Delaware and you're receiving Medicaid, they don't want your home because they don't want you out on the street. Right. They want you to reside right. in your home. Yeah, they want you to stay home as long as possible. Right. So the yes. house is exempt as long as you continue to live there. Or if you have a spouse that lives there, right. they're not going to do anything with the home as long as the spouse lives there, even a disabled child. If you go into a facility, they are going to want you to sell the house. If you're single. If you're single. Yep. 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 And if you can't sell it, then they will place a lien against it. Right. And then at your death, they can possibly seek recovery if your house flows through your estate Mm -hmm. for any money that they've paid out on your behalf. But they're not going to come knocking on your door and say, you got to go. We want your house. (laughs) That's not how it works. Right. And I think important to add to that, you know, there are planning strategies that can help preserve the house perhaps, or perhaps sell the house at a discounted value to a family member, or if the house does have to be sold to be able to shelter a a good portion of the sale proceeds. We talk about all of that in other podcasts or crisis planning podcasts. So any listeners who are interested in that, by all means, you know, check out those podcasts as well. So the next one, I can't afford long-term care. You can't afford not to have long-term care, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because what is the alternative that you're sitting there and wasting away and your family certainly doesn't want that. So you probably can't afford long-term care out of pocket in a nursing home at $130,000 a year. But with the Medicaid program, you can, whether that be at home because you can get extra care at home or in a nursing home 
where if you qualify for Medicaid, you're not going to have to pay any more than your income and they're right. going to pay the balance. Right, right. Yeah, that's the thing. People think they can't afford it. But the second piece of that is they don't understand that they can become eligible for government benefits to help them afford it. Right. You know, so, so yeah, that's definitely um, a big misconception. And again, something that we see people put off care for a long, long time because they just have, oh, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. When if they get help, they can, they learn that they can afford it. And they might be put themselves in a better situation if right. they maybe approach it a little bit sooner. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and that's a great point because people do, they put it off and put it off and end up spending more money than what they legally have to. And I think for married couples in particular, um, it's really important to understand that the vast bulk of their assets can be protected and they can receive care. They can receive care at home. And when they establish eligibility for Medicaid, the state's going to pay for that care 100% at home. So really it's important to get the facts. Um, so next one, if my spouse needs care, I'm going to have to cash out my IRA, my retirement account to pay for it. If you are told that, please come see us. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is not true in Delaware at right. all. So in Delaware, the healthy spouse's IRA is excluded, is protected. In Maryland, there are tools that we can use that if you have to utilize your retirement account that we can stretch it out so that you're not getting slammed with a bunch of taxes. So please come see us if yeah. you're told that. Yeah, yeah really important. And, you know, yeah, it, it, it often factors in, especially we live so close to the Delaware, Maryland line that, you know, in choice of facility, um, you know, we've had Maryland families place their loved one in a Delaware facility intentionally so that they can shelter, um, you know, the, the non-applicant spouse's retirement accounts are so really important to make sure you're getting good information there. Um, next one, gifting precludes Medicaid eligibility. No. <laughs> so it's a myth. <laughs> Short and sweet. Not true. It does not preclude eligibility. What happens is any gifts done within the last five years are penalized. So that means that there may be a period of time that Medicaid won't pay for care. You'll technically still be eligible for Medicaid. They just won't pay for long-term care. Mm -hmm. So don't let that stop you from applying either. In fact, that could be all the more reason to apply because a lot of times serving out a penalty for Medicaid is better in the home. Right. So don't let it stop you from seeking Medicaid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my loved one needs care now, or, you know, we get a call, my spouse had to go to, into a nursing home. It's too late for me to plan. No, it's yeah. not too late. We have people that pay privately in a nursing home for years mm -hmm. and then come to us. We wish they would have come to us sooner. Right. It's never too late. Even if at the end of the day, there's only very little bit that we can protect. It's still something when otherwise they would have to get down to $2,000. Right. Yeah. I mean, general rule of thumb, if there are assets left, 
we usually can shelter about 50% minimum, sometimes more. Depends on cost of care, monthly income, lots of factors go into it. But a good rule of thumb is we can shelter at least 50%. So yeah, we've had those cases where people have, unfortunately, privately paid for care for a long, long time before they learn that there's planning opportunities available. But if there's something left, you know, still, usually about 50% can be sheltered. Um, so a person must be destitute to qualify for Medicaid. That's not true either. <laughs> <laughs> so the rules do say that a single person has to be down to $2,000 or $2,500 in Maryland. But there are strategies and tools out there that can allow you to protect assets and still qualify for Medicaid. You definitely want to do it as part of a plan, which right. is why we call it asset protection planning, to make sure that you're not doing anything that will interrupt your benefits or prevent you from getting benefits when you need them. But you can certainly protect a nest egg and become eligible for Medicaid. Yeah. And again, really important, anyone who's listening that has a loved one and is interested, you know, definitely listen to our crisis planning um, podcast to get more information about that and check out our website. Um, we generally have workshops or webinars where we're doing talking specifically about that. So, you know, the, the, you know, federal and state law allow people to shelter assets and qualify for Medicaid benefits. Um, so when we see those cases of people who have paid and paid and paid, um, it's really tough. It's really, and it's really tough to break that news to them um, that there was planning they could have done. Um, but we jump in and we do try to show, help them shelter as much as we can, even at the last minute. I think it's important to note too that when I was working in a nursing home, I would often refer clients to mm -hmm. an elder law attorney that specializes in this area of practice so that they could potentially shelter some money for their loved right, ones. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. We have a lot of facilities that refer to us because they know the rules too. And right. they know that if the fan, that person becomes Medicaid eligible, that facility is going to get paid. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, but there are, but we do get, you know, stories of facilities also telling people, oh, you have to pay everything to us. And once you're broke, then you can pay for Medicaid. So really important to get good information. Um, sort of related to that, asset protection planning to qualify for Medicaid is unethical. But it's not. <laughs> so everything that we do is within state and federal regulation, and we disclose everything we do. We don't hide anything from medical. We often have clients say to us, like, can you hide that? Or can you, uh, how are you going to get away with that? Right, right. We're not getting away with anything. We're disclosing everything that we do to Medicaid because it's within regulation. Right. Yeah, I mean, my my theory, all my practice has always been, I'm not going to ever, ever <laughs> suggest to a client to do something that I don't feel 100% confident looking into a case manager's eyes or a supervisor or whoever it might be, and having a statute that I can point to, a regulation that I can point to. And so the planning is permitted. Um, it's, you know, and so when people want to say, oh, well, that's, you know, it's not ethical, you know, you're trying to hide assets, like Danielle said, it's not, you know, it's not, we're not hiding anything. It's all completely disclosed. Um, and here's the thing. If a client tells us about the cash that's in their safe deposit box, 
we're disclosing that on the Medicaid application. We're not, you know, even if they don't want us to, (laughs) it's going on the Medicaid application. Um, So we fully disclose all assets. um, And then we know, you know, what planning is available. Um, And then last one on my list here, um, or actually, no, I have two more, I'm sorry. Uh, If my loved one receives Medicaid, they're going to record, they're going to receive subpar care. No, no, no. (laughs) So that may have been true back in the 70s and the 80s. I don't know. That was before my time. Yeah, yeah. But that is not true. Most of the time, the people providing care do not even know what the resident's payer sources, what right. what the person's payer sources. Right, whether they're privately paying or they're on Medicaid. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes a, a supervisor on the floor may know because of documentation purposes, you have to document things a little bit more for Medicare than Medicaid, things along those lines. But most of the time, the people doing the hands-on care they don't know the difference. So and I think they don't care. They don't, they're providing no, care. Absolutely. They don't care how it's being paid for. That's right. right. Yeah. It's yeah. just another person that they need to take care yeah. of. Yeah. And I think why that's, again, one of those reasons why your experience, both working in a long-term care facility and then your personal experience too, is so helpful because you know firsthand, both professionally and personally, that it doesn't matter that right. a person's going to receive the exact same type of care as if they were writing a check for that care every month. That's so right. really important. That one has really floored me multiple times over the years where even other professionals, there is this stigma about Medicaid thinking that, oh my goodness, if my loved one goes on Medicaid, they're going to have to go to this horrible facility, this, you know, and, and that's not the case no. at all. In fact, you know, facilities that accept Medicaid and Medicare for that matter have to pass annual inspections and strict surveys. And right. so they may actually be examined, examined a little yeah, more closely than true. those that don't. Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point. And then the last one, all elder law attorneys are the same. So that's self-serving for me to say, because I'm a lawyer, but <laughs> what's your take on that? That's you, not yeah. true. <laughs> So I worked with several elder law attorneys at the nursing home, and this is where I ended up. So (laughs) that's that's one thing. So they're definitely not true. But really, it's more so about asking what their areas of practice are. So elder law can be a little broad. For some elder law attorneys, it's really just about doing estate planning work or Mm -hmm. maybe it's state administration it's not as common that elder law attorneys capture Medicaid or VA planning. So they're certainly not the same. And so it's important to ask what their experience is with Medicaid because there are so many regulations with Medicaid that Mm -hmm. if you don't do it on a regular basis, it's hard to know all of the rules. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So I think that will do it for us for today. But in closing, I'm going to embarrass you again. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So, because I love these. This is another quote from one of our client surveys. And I love this one. This one, we've had a lot of fun with this one. It says, my main dealings communication were with Danielle Marvel. She was top nacho. (laughs) Love it. I probably made her crazy in her private moments, but she was always helpful, compassionate, patient, kind, attentive, and professional. And I think that that list sums it up perfectly. Danielle, you definitely are all of those things. And thank you for sharing your time with me today and joining me in the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mm
Thanks for being with us today on Off the Clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.